Welcome to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, where we talk about issues facing our Big Island community. Island Conversations, Sunday mornings on KWXX at 6.30 and on B97B93 at 7 a.m. Or listen anytime at kwxx.com. Island Conversations, brought to you by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916. Now, here's your host and producer, Sherry Bracken. Aloha, good morning, welcome to Island Conversations. Last week, we spoke with Patrick Toll of the Alzheimer's Association, and you may get that interview and previous Island Conversations discussions with all of our guests as podcasts at kwxx.com or b97hawaii.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, we expand the discussion with Dr. Corey Kailiao with Hawaii Pacific Neuroscience from Oahu about some medical aspects of Alzheimer's and, more importantly, clinical trials going on right here in the state, which include people from the Big Island, to help find a cure or prevention of Alzheimer's. 28,000 people in our state right now have Alzheimer's. It's a bad disease. Let's get to our discussion, which we recorded a couple of months ago when Dr. Liao was here on the island. Dr. Corey Kai Liao is Chief of Staff-Elect at Adventist Health Castle. He's a clinical professor of medicine and neurology at the University of Hawaii John A. Burns School of Medicine and director and principal investigator of the Clinical Research Center, Hawaii Pacific Neuroscience on Oahu. He's a National Institute of Health trained research neurologist and has served as the principal investigator for more than 100 neuroscience clinical trials funded by the National Institutes of Health, the CDC, and the pharmaceutical industry, and has published over 40 peer-reviewed scientific neuroscience articles. Good morning, aloha. Dr. Liao. Aloha. So, Dr. Liao, what exactly is Hawaii Pacific Neuroscience? Hawaii Pacific Neuroscience is a uh, multi-specialty neuroscience care center where the patient is the center of care. We bring, for example, a patient with a memory disorder, we bring the neurologist to them, we bring the geriatrician to them. The patient may need a psychologist, or sometimes it may just be even something as simple as needing help with their finances and things like that. So we also have access to social work. So mainly we are interested in bringing the resources to the patient and making them the center of care. And your focus really is memory issues, is that correct? That's correct. So one of our passion is taking care of patients with memory disorder, whether it is just difficulty with short-term, long-term memory, or maybe even something more serious like patients who may have Alzheimer's dementia or already diagnosed with Alzheimer's dementia. One of our job is to screen this patient to make sure that the diagnosis are correct, to make sure that we make the diagnosis clear, accurate, and early. Because by making the diagnosis early, we are able to offer more options. Sometimes they could even qualify for clinical trials, clinical research. But more important than that is to make the accurate diagnosis because sometimes patients with memory loss could have some reversible causes like water in the brain or they may just have vitamin deficiency that we could really correct and they may not even have dementia or Alzheimer's at all. So one of our passion is to really make an accurate diagnosis, provide a second opinion, bring the top specialists to our patients, and also to offer groundbreaking clinical trials for patients who, for a disease, a challenging disease like Alzheimer's, who, who doesn't have a cure right now. 
Help us understand, Dr. Liao, the difference between dementia, Alzheimer's, and I have to say, and I'm hoping normal lapses in memory, like where did I leave my car keys? Right, that's a great question, Sherry. Alzheimer's is a type of dementia. Dementia is an umbrella term. It can include other types of dementia, like vascular dementia with people with stroke, frontotemporal dementia, but the most common type of dementia is Alzheimer's. So what is Alzheimer's? Alzheimer's is really brain disease where people lose the ability to retain especially short-term memory. So let's talk about that for a minute. For example, we all have little kind of memory lapses when, let's say when we go to the mall, we kind of forget where we park our car, and that's okay. The difference between that and forgetting how to drive the car home, that is a patient with Alzheimer's dementia. We all forget that we leave things somewhere. For example, we could go home and, where did I leave the TV remote control? The difference between that and Alzheimer's dementia is, Alzheimer's dementia patient doesn't know what to do with the TV remote control. Sometimes we forget, we leave something, we may leave our key somewhere, we can trace it back and say, why did I leave it last? Why did I see it last? We could eventually find it. Those memory issues are not of concern. So Alzheimer's patient, the first sign are usually short-term memory. It's usually memories with forgetting dates, forgetting important events, asking the same questions. And sometimes those issues are not easily sorted out. And, you know, the best thing is if you're not sure, talk to your primary care physicians, get it checked out. You know, I mentioned at the start that 28,000 people in the state of Hawaii have Alzheimer's. But talk a little bit more about the true impact of Alzheimer's because it really goes beyond just having it. You talked in a presentation I saw on the Big Island at the end of April about both the people impact and the money impact. So tell us more about that. Right. Alzheimer's is really a sixth leading cause of death in the United States. Unfortunately, it is the only one without a cure or a prevention or anything that we can do to delay the onset. Every 65 seconds, somebody in America is diagnosed with Alzheimer's dementia, and currently we have about almost 6 million Americans with Alzheimer's dementia. One out of three seniors died of Alzheimer's-related diseases. Alzheimer's affect one in eight people over 65, one in three people over 85 years old, and one in two people over 95 years old. It has a huge financial impact. One dollar of every five Medicare dollar is spent on Alzheimer's-related illness. And somebody with Alzheimer's on Medicaid will spend 21 times more than somebody without Alzheimer's dementia. Unfortunately, because of our aging population and our baby boomers, the incidence and the prevalence of Alzheimer's will double in the next 20 years. Alzheimer's will overtake heart disease and cancer as the number one killer in America in the next 20 years in what we call the silver tsunami that's hitting us. So there is a lot of reasons, a lot of interest, as well as a lot of people who are interested in solving this issue. How do you know as a doctor pre-autopsy if somebody has Alzheimer's? How do you determine that? In the past, there's really no way we could tell until somebody would die and then we look at the brain and then we look for the hallmarks of Alzheimer's, those pink abnormal proteins, what we call amyloid in the brain. However, that has changed probably in the last 10 years. We do have biomarkers 
meaning kind of like the hallmark of Alzheimer's that we can obtain while making the correct diagnosis by either looking at the spinal fluid of a patient, look for the abnormal proteins, amyloid proteins or tau proteins in the spinal fluid, or we look at the PET scan of patients, what we call amyloid PET scan, looking for abnormal proteins in the PET scan. So just in the last decade or so, things have really changed. Why is this important? This is important because it allows scientists, neuroscientists, and neurologists to be able to make the diagnosis accurately and also early enough so that we could bring intervention, we could bring treatment early enough because right now, every known treatment that we have uh, does not uh, significantly alter what we call the disease process. They're not disease modifying. So this is really exciting to us because it offers a chance to potentially offer treatments that could prevent, slow down, or cure the disease in the future. What factors contribute to somebody getting Alzheimer's disease? There are several big factors. The main one is age. As you grow older, your chance of getting Alzheimer's increases. One in eight people over 65, one in three over 85. The second is genetics, which plays an important part. We know that certain people get what we call early onset Alzheimer's from having certain abnormal gene. Three main ones are called PS1, PS2, and APP genes. If you have those genes, it is almost certain Alzheimer's could develop in the 40s and 50s. However, this only accounts for about 10% of patients' Alzheimer's disease. A majority of patients who have genetic predisposition are what we call late-onset Alzheimer's. They inherit abnormal genes, what we call ApoE4 genetic material, one set from mom, another set from dad. People who have one set of ApoE4 may have up to four times the risk of developing Alzheimer's dementia. If you have both sets, you have E4 from mom and E4 from dad, you have as high as 12 times the risk of developing Alzheimer's dementia. In addition to age and genetics, we also know that patients who had a history of traumatic brain injury, who had a blow to the head, who had a motor vehicle accident, are also prone to develop Alzheimer's dementia. And those are the, really the big couple of risk factors that we know for sure that's associated with Alzheimer's dementia. You mentioned that somebody who inherits the gene from mom and from dad might have 12 times more, but let's get real specific. If two parents have Alzheimer's, is the individual going to develop Alzheimer's? Is that a for certain? Well, not for certain, because apart from the genetic factor, there's the environmental factors. We're talking about late-onset Alzheimer's here. So there are multiple factors besides the genetic factors. Eating habits, there are lifestyles, there are environmental factors. Just because your mom has Alzheimer's and your dad has Alzheimer's doesn't mean that they will pass on the genetic material to you. They could have both sets. If they have both sets of ApoE4, yes, for sure they'll pass one set. So it really depends. However, the fact that you have both sets of parents who develop Alzheimer's does indeed put you at risk, but it doesn't guarantee that you will develop Alzheimer's. Like I said, there are other environmental factors that also play a role. I do want to ask you about genetic testing because I know one of the things that is going on here in Hawaii, which is, I think, really remarkable, is that there are clinical trials. In February of 2019, the FDA announced they were sending 12 cease and desist letters and five online advisory letters to companies that were at the time selling 58 different products that claimed to prevent, treat, or cure 
Alzheimer's. And the FDA, as I understand it, was saying there's no proof the products did anything. But comment on that because clearly this is the kind of disease that people, no matter how old one is, are there drugs that do anything to treat or slow or prevent Alzheimer's? Thank you for asking that. I get asked these questions almost every day in the clinic. Just because there's no cure, uh, no way to really make any significant difference, it creates a huge vacuum, huge need. So there's a lot of companies that try to fill these needs. Everything from jellyfish to coconut, you name it, you have it. I'm not surprised at all that FDA have to clamp down on all this. Right now, we do not have a cure. We do not have anything that could potentially disease-modifying. All of the clinical trials, I would say they are in phase two or phase three, meaning that it involves a lot of patients. And although they show promise, I would say it probably would take at least five years, perhaps five to 15 years before we even at brink of any discovery for cure or prevention. But I do know that if one develops Alzheimer's, sometimes doctors prescribe drugs. So what's up with those drugs? The drugs that we have currently are what we call symptomatic drugs. Symptomatic means the drugs does increase the chemicals in between the brain cells so they could talk better. But it doesn't really address what's causing the problem with the inability of the brain cells to talk, which is the accumulation of the abnormal amyloid that interferes with the signal of the brain cells. So even though they increases the chemicals, drugs like donepezil, drugs like memantin, they increase the chemicals in between the brain cells, it doesn't stop the production of the abnormal protein. So it is not in any way curative, not in any way disease-modifying. It is symptomatic. It just helps the patient to perhaps increase their ability to remember things, but it doesn't address what's causing it or the root cause of a problem. And a brief interruption to remind you, this is Island Conversations, and I'm Sherry Bracken. You may always find us as a podcast wherever you get podcasts or at kwxx.com or at b97hawaii.com. Today, we are expanding our discussion of Alzheimer's disease with a conversation with Dr. Corey Kai Liao, who's with Hawaii Pacific Neuroscience on Oahu, and soon we'll be talking about clinical trials that are happening right here on the island and in the state, and he'll give you you his phone number that you can call if you are interested. For next week, July 14th is the five-year anniversary of the date that commercial pilot Sidney Uemoto, who was in a private plane at the time, lost all power, had to land the plane in the Alenui Haha Channel in four to six foot seas. She and her co-pilot couldn't be seen by the rescuers. They swam towards Kona for 20 hours. It's an extremely dramatic story and one of my favorite interviews ever. Next week is part one with Sydney, and the following week, we're going to hear from both Sydney and her mother about what the family knew and when they knew it. I guarantee it's a spellbinding interview. Before we get back to Dr. Corey Kai Liao, let's hear from KTA Superstores. At KTA, local and fresh means you get the very best Hawaii Island has to offer. The grass-fed meats you find at KTA are raised without added hormones or antibiotics. Our seafood department is stocked with sustainable choices caught in local waters by local fishermen. KTA carries the largest selection of Hawaii Island homegrown produce. Our mountain apple brand is all local so you know it's fresh and delicious. Local and fresh always tastes best at KTA. 
And now back to Dr. Corey Kai Liao of Hawaii Pacific Neuroscience and the Alzheimer's Research Unit. Given the intensity of this issue with Alzheimer's, that it is causing significant cost to our healthcare system and obviously killing a lot of people ultimately, and also even before that, causing a lot of money to be spent in care, is enough money going into Alzheimer's research, either from the federal government or pharmaceutical companies? NIH, uh, National Institute of Health, has been doing a better job at funding some of the research. For example, the funding of HIV disease. We have made such a tremendous progress in HIV disease. We have antiretroviral drug therapy that almost cured our patients, get rid of the virus in the body. The funding of HIV disease is 10 times more than Alzheimer's from the National Institute of Health. I believe that better funding, better support from an organization like National Institute of Health will boost our progress in making a scientific advance and understanding Alzheimer's in a tremendous way. But obviously, it does take significant advocacy from organizations like the Alzheimer's Association, the Office of Aging. So we are extremely grateful for these partners. There is a tremendous collaborative effort, especially from pharmaceutical and the academia, the universities, to work collaboratively with the federal agencies. In my 25 years being in neurology, I have seen increasing interest, increasing collaboration. The pharmaceuticals are sharing the data with academia and vice versa, and they are approaching the federal agencies. I've seen an increasing collaboration. So in that way, I'm encouraged, but at the same time, I'm concerned about the tremendous impact it would have on our society as a whole both in human factors, the lives that's affected, but as well as financial factors, its effect in the economy. So I see some urgency for more advocacy work for the Alzheimer's Association, for the support that we can give Alzheimer's Association and our aging agencies in our state and federal. I was really intrigued to learn that you actually are doing clinical trials here in Hawaii for Alzheimer's, and you're actually extending that to the neighbor islands. Tell us what kind of clinical trials you're involved with. We're really excited to share it because one of the things that we got really excited is the sponsors, the big academia, the universities, the pharmaceutical on the mainland, their willingness to work with us. We know that it is very difficult for our island patients, Hawaii island patients to fly to the mainland for these clinical trials, especially if we're talking about patients with memory loss who may or may not have to be in a wheelchair flying long hours, even at the closest place in California. It takes the tone of family. So we are very, very excited because these companies are beginning to realize that Hawaii does have the resources, does have the people, and because of the community that we have working together, we're able to bring some of the best neurologists, some of the best research folks together from the medical community, from the university, John Burns School of Medicine, from the hospital, and one of our passion is to be able to work with our neighbor island friends and partners to be sure that our neighbor island patients have access to these resources so that they themselves do not have to travel to the mainland. And also we are providing education, raising awareness, working with our wonderful friends on neighbor island, Alzheimer's Association and the Office of Aging. So we're very excited and looking forward to working with them. Why are clinical trials important? Clinical trials in Alzheimer's, unfortunately, 
needs human subjects because in Alzheimer's, unlike in other disease, the success factors is very, very low in animals. There is a more than 90% failure with testing in animals. We desperately need people who are 60 years and above to contribute to our understanding, to help us to find better ways, better drugs to treat Alzheimer's. Are you looking for people to participate in clinical trials who've already been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, or do you want people who, well, tell us who you want? Yeah, no, we are looking for anyone who's over 60 years old. You do not have to have Alzheimer's disease. You may or may not have memory loss. We have different clinical trials. Some of our clinical trials are looking for patients in early stages of Alzheimer's, and we will make the diagnosis. You do not have to have a diagnosis to qualify for it. We'll provide free memory testing. Some of our trials are looking for people who do not have memory loss, who are what we call preclinical who are at risk for developing Alzheimer's. How do we know that they're at risk? Because we actually do a genetic chick swap test. We just take a chick swap sample, just very easy. From that, we know from the genetic material whether they're at risk. So some of these trials, you do not have to have memory loss. You just need to be at risk. We need people who are able to contribute to our understanding and science to advance our progress to find a cure for Alzheimer's. I heard you say in a presentation that by the time somebody presents with Alzheimer's symptoms, they have had the disease for sometimes 25 years. You know, I'm kind of puzzled why you would only want people in a clinical trial if they're 60 or above, if they may have been developing Alzheimer's for years. So talk a little bit more about how it develops. We think that by the time that people develop memory loss, they probably would have been having the abnormal amyloid deposits in the brain for at least 10 or even as long as 15 years before they actually develop memory loss. So our goal is to really recruit patients who have yet to develop memory loss, who may be at the early stages of having the abnormal amyloid proteins in the brain or may not even yet have the amyloid proteins but just have the risk of having the amyloid proteins deposited in the brain. Obviously, we do not want to put people who are 20 years old on a potential preventive therapy because they have to take the drug every day for the next 60 years, the next 70 years. Although my feelings, my hunch is that moving forward, clinical trials research, we may be looking for patients who are younger, but at this time, we're only looking for patients who are 60 years and above. If somebody gets involved in a clinical trial, and let's say your testing shows that they do have the gene that contributes to Alzheimer's, how do people not be concerned about the privacy issues because everybody's concerned about, for example, losing their health insurance? How do you keep that information truly private in a day of everything in the universe being hacked? Your name, your information will never be associated with your results. Your results is what we call the identified patient. That means the people that have your results will not know who you are, where are you from. So there is just no way that connection is there, number one. Number two is any genetic information to be reviewed will be done by a licensed genetic counselor from University of Pennsylvania telegenetics program. So we will actually have you come back to the clinic and for the neighbor island patients, we will pay for your travel, we'll get you back to the clinic and you will actually have a face-to-face -face consultation with 
uh, genetic counselor from University of Pennsylvania, telegenetics program. So these are all done in a very professional manner. There could be questions about other things in regards to genetic disclosure that probably best be handled by a licensed genetic counselor. Given that you've said that there literally is no prevention or no known cure, what should we all be doing, no matter what our age, to attempt to ward off Alzheimer's, even though I'm not clear that anything is going to work at this point? But tell us what we should be doing. Yeah, well, there are really great evidence to suggest that certain lifestyle could really reduce the risk for Alzheimer's. For example, watch what we eat. There are some really great studies that shows that eating a Mediterranean or olive oil-based diet will slow the onset or the progression of Alzheimer's. And also there's evidence to show that having a plant-based diet is healthier and will slow the onset as well as progression of Alzheimer's. So besides diet, we also know that people who stay active is also a good defense for Alzheimer's. In general, good heart health will contribute to good brain health. Anything that's bad for the heart, high cholesterol, fat, high blood pressure, tends to be bad for the brain as well. We found that patients who have lower cardiovascular risk factors also have lower risk for Alzheimer's. So my advice is stay active. There are some very good evidence to suggest that aerobic exercise, running, uh, walking, jogging will slow the onset and progression of Alzheimer's. So what I usually tell my patients is try to go for a walk at least three times a week, even if it's five minutes walk, you know, just do it, you know, try to go out and do the gardening as much as you can. And and we have no excuse here in Hawaii. It's so beautiful, you know. (laughs) We also know that people with higher cognitive capacity, meaning people with higher education, people who keep their brain active, they have a better reserve. They will delay the onset of Alzheimer's. A study in France showed people who retire later, they tend not to develop Alzheimer's as early. So stay working, stay active. And also mental activities that involve multiple modality, vision, hearing, talking, meeting new people, activities are generally very good for the brain. What about crossword puzzle and Sudoku? Well, here's the thing. You have 100 billion neurons in the brain. You have 100 trillion connection, what we call synapses in the brain. By doing crossword puzzle, those synapses are already there. So you need to be engaged in activities that form new information, meeting new friends, learning a new language, learning a new way to do things, learning a new road to get home from work, brushing your teeth with a different technique, meeting new people, volunteer at the Alzheimer's Association, helping other people. Those are great mental activities that tend to lower your risk for Alzheimer's. Is there any research going on either here in Hawaii or nationally or internationally that you find to be particularly exciting or hopeful given that we don't have any definitive answers yet, but is there anything in the pipeline that you are really excited about? There are certain uh, studies that I'm particularly excited about. For example, there is several pathways to Alzheimer's dementia. One of the pathways we talk a lot about is deposit amyloid proteins. The other pathway is the deposit of tau tangles. Those are abnormal proteins inside the brain cells that affects the skeleton or the supporting structures of the brain cells, what we call microtubules. Uh, another abnormal protein is the tau protein, we think is also responsible 
for Alzheimer's. One of the new studies that we will be beginning to do here in Hawaii is Tai Tao therapy. One of the exciting things is these therapies are not pills that we have to take every day. It's just an IV infusion of what we call monoclonal antibodies. These are just immune response that we induce in the body. So our patients just need to come in and get an hour of IV infusion once a month or once every two weeks and then to help the body to develop an immune system against some of these abnormal proteins, whether it's tau proteins or amyloid proteins. So I'm excited about different ways to treat Alzheimer's and also the convenience that it can offer so our patients doesn't have to take a pills every day. There are therapies that people in Boston, the Mass General Hospital, they're working on, on using diabetic medicine like insulin by injecting them into the nose. As you know, the nose is very close to the brain, induces an immune response in the brain that could potentially reverse some of the process. So there are a number of studies that are extremely exciting. I was trained in neurology about 25 years ago where we get really sad when we see an Alzheimer's patient because it's absolutely nothing we can do for the patient. But I am so excited today because, Sherry, we have so many things that's going on and we have so many great people, so many great institutions. We have so much interest. And I look at the next generation of people, the medical students, the residents that are interested in this view. I feel very confident that perhaps even in my lifetime, we could potentially find a cure for Alzheimer's. So I'm really excited about it. That's pretty cool. In general, when patients do develop Alzheimer's, does insurance cover the cost? The insurance does cover the routine testing. There's certain testing like the spinal fluid testing, which is not covered by insurance. If the patients are in a clinical trial, they would have access to medical procedures, spinal fluid testing, genetic testing, medication, all free of charge. Obviously, just like any clinical trials, they have the choice. It's a voluntary decision. They have the choice not to participate, even if they're positive, even if they qualify. Even after they qualify, if they're taking a medication, they have the choice to stop the clinical trials at any time. We're very excited because we could offer this clinical trials to our patient on the island who no longer has traveled to the mainland for it. But in general, if somebody has Alzheimer's, are you saying then that typical insurance, HMSA or Kaiser or whatever, they would cover the basic normal costs of whatever treatment Alzheimer's requires? So a typical evaluation made by a neurologist or primary care, a geriatrician may involve an MRI of the brain, a memory test, EEG, which very well covered. And we live in a state where coverage and insurance are great. They are covered by HMSA, Ohana, Aloha Care, UHA, Kaiser. However, beyond that, the genetic testing, the spinal fluid testing, they may not be covered and they may not be offered except in a research setting. So we would love for patients who are interested in taking this a step further to call the Alzheimer's Research Unit in Honolulu. Our number is area code 808-564-6141, for the Alzheimer's Research Unit in Honolulu, Hawaii. Dr. Corey Kailiao, what would you like to say in closing? We're very fortunate. We live in a state where our kupunas are respected. We take great care of our kupunas. We have one of the best living situations. This is the best place for any kupunas to be in. I think we're blessed. We're so fortunate. Uh, we also live in a, a, at a time where Alzheimer's dementia does not necessarily 
have to be a hopeless thing. We have a lot of great people in Hawaii, all the way from medical students to doctors, neurologists, primary care geriatricians, who are working hard every day to make a difference. We are working with people around the world, with the big institutions like Cleveland Clinic, Mayo Clinic, Harvard, who are pushing the boundaries of science, who are trying to make advancement, trying to find a cure. I'm really looking forward to working with everyone, all the way from the primary care, the geriatrician, the hospitals, the agencies, and also our friends from the scientific community from mainland. We have a great situation here in the state where we can make a difference. So I would hope that anyone who is 60 years and above would join us in our effort to battle this silver tsunami that will indeed affect all of us in one way or another in the next coming five to ten years. Dr. Corey Kailiao, thank you so much for being with us. Aloha. Aloha. And a huge thank you to you, our listeners, for being with us. This is Island Conversations, and I'm Sherry Bracken. After I recorded this interview, I did have a chance to go to Oahu, see the Hawaii Pacific Neuroscience Facility. The clinical trials are pretty impressive, so if you have any interest at all, I urge you to contact Hawaii Pacific Neuroscience. I'll see you next week for another Island Conversations, and until then, please, let's all live and drive with aloha. Ahoi hao. Thank you for listening to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, available anytime at kwxx.com. We welcome your feedback and suggestions at info at kwxx.com. Join us next week for another Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, brought to you by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916.